The last couple of months, um, as I've been studying the Bible just on my own, there's been a passage in the New Testament that has stood out to me as being particularly encouraging in a way that I had never seen before. I was reading a passage in Mark, um, and I realized for the first time that two passages were connected. And that happens to me sometimes, probably not as much as it should, but it's always really refreshing to me. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take you all to that passage in Mark chapter 6 and show you why I think when we connect these two stories, the truths that are revealed are incredible. And it's beneficial to realize that these stories are connected in the life of Christ. But first, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask that He'll help us to understand the Scriptures and to be taught by them this morning. God, we come to Your Word this morning humbly and just desiring that You would open it to us. We would ask that You would cause Your Spirit to open our hearts to receive its truth, to be encouraged and convicted and refreshed so that we can leave this place willing and excited to serve You and to be a part of Your family and to be Your adopted children. So God, I pray that You'll make this passage come alive to us in ways that maybe it hasn't before. Amen. You might want to sit next to someone this morning or bookmark um, another passage in the Scriptures because the passage we're going to be going to today to get the full story, we're going to need to look at the correlating passages in the other Gospels. Um, It's in Matthew chapter 14 and it's in Mark chapter 6. So either stick a piece of paper in the Matthew passage or have someone else turn there because we're going to be referencing that every once in a while, but mostly we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. There are two really familiar stories. The death of John the Baptist when Herod killed him and the feeding of the 5,000. And the feeding of the 5,000 is probably Jesus' most famous miracle because it's actually the only miracle that's included in all four gospel narratives. But we're going to look at those in connection today. We're going to be starting in the Gospel of Mark. Look back at the beginning of Mark 6, in verse 7. It says, He called the twelve, and He began to send them out two by two, and He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So He sent them out. This is how it begins. He sends out the twelve in pairs of two into the surrounding villages, to teach, to cast out demons, and to heal. And they're gone for a while. We don't really know how long, but probably days, as they're traveling from village to village. And then, in both Matthew 14 and in Mark 6, the very next thing that happens is the death of John the Baptist. So it's very safe to assume that John was murdered while they were gone, and while Christ was by himself. And what happens next is interesting. I'm not going to read that story of John being killed by Herod. You remember it happens in the midst of a drunken party when Herod is trying to impress his friends and he makes a rash promise and it ends in John's death. But what happens after that is what's so interesting. 
Look in Mark chapter 6, verse 29. It says, When his disciples heard of it, heard of John's death, they came and took John's body and they laid it in a tomb. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. And in Matthew's account, down in verse 12, it says, John's disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. So we have Mark who highlights the disciples' need for rest. And we have Matthew who highlights Christ's need for rest. And it's for different reasons, I think. The disciples had been out ministering and preaching and walking and healing people, and so they were, they were tired from doing ministry. They had probably heard about John's death, um, but I think that they were mostly physically tired. But Christ, in Matthew's account, needed to withdraw and be by himself, and it's purely from the death of John the Baptist, it looks like, because we don't have any account of what he was doing during that time. He might have been spending time alone with God. He might have been preaching or ministering on his own. But regardless, Christ needed rest. The human side of Christ, when he heard about the death of John, had to withdraw. It was too much for him. Even Christ experienced the pain of losing a deep, deep friend. I think that there are three main reasons why the death of John the Baptist was so hard for Christ. Why it actually made him need to withdraw. Um, so let's look at him kind of in the, the level of importance. The first thing is John was family. You remember Mary and Elizabeth were relatives. Mary visited Elizabeth, and there's, there's the story about John actually leaping in Elizabeth's womb when he heard Mary's voice. But they were family. It's always hard to lose someone that's family. John was also an incredibly faithful man. I think that's the second reason. The most incredible man in Israel at this time besides Christ. He had a unique humility, unwilling to think himself worthy of even untying Christ's sandals. He also had an incredible conviction. He was willing to approach Herod and say, the inappropriate relationship that you have with your brother's wife is out of line with the Bible. And it got him killed. And then he also had an incredible commitment to the truth. You remember the Pharisees and the scribes were coming to him and wanting to be baptized by him, and he actually called them a brood of vipers. And he said, who's warning you to flee from the wrath that's to come? And he told them that they were teaching and practicing what was wrong. So we see his humility and his conviction and his commitment. So when Christ lost John the Baptist, he was losing a family member, but he was also losing what I think was what he was, one, he was losing one of the greatest lights in Israel at this time. I think there were probably days in Christ's ministry serving around the disciples when they were arguing about who was the greatest, and Jesus just remembered John. At least I have John. No one else seemed to get who he was at times, but Jesus had John, and he had John's understanding of who Christ was, and I think that was a real encouragement to him. But not only that, the third thing, and I think the, the biggest reason why this was a loss to Christ like no other, was that John was uniquely connected to the mission of Christ. You remember reading in Isaiah chapter 40 about the one who comes to prepare the way for the Lord? That was John. 
John and Christ were uniquely connected like no one else in Israel was. No one was connected to Christ's ministry like John. The disciples were connected to Christ's ministry, but John was connected to Christ's ministry in such a way that it was even prophesied about hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ came. He was uniquely Christ's partner. Um, I think this is why Christ said John was the greatest man to have ever lived. No one else who had ever lived had had the great responsibility and privilege of being able to announce and prepare the way for the Messiah. And John had that. But not only that, John had even discipled Christ's disciples before they followed Christ. You remember in John chapter 1, John is standing there with at least two of Christ's disciples, and Christ walks by and he says, Look, the Lamb of God, who's going to take away the sins of the world. And it was John and Andrew. And they didn't follow John any longer. They started following Christ. So John was intimately connected with Christ's mission. I think if you lose any one of those three things, a family member, a great man, or someone who's helping you in ministry, that is a blow. But Christ lost all of those things when he lost John. So it actually, I think, exhausted Christ emotionally. And he wanted to just be alone with God and to pray and to rest. And so he's taking care of his needs for rest, and he's taking care of the disciples' needs for rest because of how much ministry they had been doing. And so he decides, we need to get away. And it's not just enough to close and lock the door or to get out of town. He actually starts heading across the sea with these guys. He needs to put some water between him and these crowds that were nonstop just giving him attention. So that's the background for the feeding of the 5,000. Because they're heading across the sea there. Look how it ends in Mark chapter 6. Um, when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles returned to Christ and told them all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. I've heard that passage preached so many times. The preaching about his ministry and his miracle to the five thousand people. But I had never studied it or heard it taught in the context of John's death. 
I had always heard it taught as being in a vacuum. Just the miracle, not where Christ and the disciples had been coming from. And when we realize where they had been coming from, I think it makes this story so much more beautiful. Because we realize the whole team is wiped out. Christ is wiped out and the disciples are wiped out and they just want to be alone. And so they start heading across the sea to be alone and the exact opposite happens. They get there and there's a crowd unlike any crowd that's recorded in the New Testament. This is the largest crowd that we have a record of Christ attending. And they wanted a chance to get away from the crowds, but the opposite happened. So here's what I want to focus on with the message this morning. What do we get from Christ's, well, from the background of this story? Christ was exhausted and he didn't want this crowd. So how did he interact with them? They totally interrupted his plans. So I think in this passage, we see Christ's concern for other people in a really, really unique way. So I want to look at that in just a few different ways. When Christ was going across the sea to rest and he interacted with these people, he was interacting from what I think was an almost empty tank from a human standpoint. Christ needed the rest and he didn't get it. So let's look at how he interacted with these people, and I think it'll be encouraging. The the first thing I want to note is the source of his concern for these people. Look down in verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Christ chooses to interact with these people, and it's from a source of compassion. He wasn't disappointed that he didn't get the chance to rest. He wasn't frustrated. He wasn't angry. He was super, super patient with these people. Christ's concern for them outweighed his concern for himself, and he had compassion. This deep, deep love for these people who were needing him. In his mind, their needs outweighed his needs because their needs were eternal. He says they were like sheep without a shepherd. An eternal need outweighed his temporary physical need for rest. So how could he have responded to this? He could have responded in a different way. He could have said, hey guys, why don't we just flip this boat around and go and rest? Because it's important for us to rest. It's very important. Or an even more considerate response, he could have gotten out of the boat and said, hey, hey friends, we're, we're struggling right now with the death of John the Baptist and the disciples are wiped out from preaching in your villages. I need this time to spend pouring into them. We need this time to be alone with God. So why don't you come and visit me tomorrow? I'm going to be back in Capernaum. I'll be teaching there tomorrow. Why don't we just do this tomorrow? But he doesn't have that type of attitude at all. That would have been kind. That would have been acceptable. That would have been understandable. But in Christ's minds, that wouldn't do. So you see, the compassion of Christ was so powerful that he had to act. He couldn't just push it off to the next day. Their need was great. And I think we see this all the time. Christ's actions towards these people flowed from his emotional response to them. He had an emotion towards them and he acted. And and we see him do this throughout the Gospels. He did this in the Garden of Gethsemane when Malchus 
and the other people came and arrested him. Peter cut off Malchus's ear, and Christ actually healed his ear. Malchus had nothing to offer to Christ. Malchus had done nothing for Christ, and yet Christ loved Malchus for no other reason than that it just came from the heart of Christ. I think if you ambush God's son and you only use an ear, that's probably a good day. But he took care of Malchus. And then he did it the very next day on the cross again. When he looked at the thief, he looked outside of his own problems and he looked at the thief and he offered him salvation, even though the thief had been making fun of him. And you see Christ in the garden looking past his own concerns. And you see him on the Christ on the cross looking past his own concerns. And I think you see him at this lake looking past his own concerns and his own need for rest and helping these people. And it came from his love. I think he's so filled with compassion. And you know, there's a verse in the New Testament that says that he actually does the exact same thing for us. That he acts out of his love. It's in Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5. And it says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. You know what that means? That means in heaven, God loved us before we were even born. And we see Him out of that love, acting and preparing the details of our adoption. He's planning in advance, looking into the future, and choosing to love us. And that action, that preparing the details of our adoption and, and choosing us for salvation flowed from his love. And we see him doing this, acting out of love. He still does it on a daily basis too in our lives. Even when things happen in our lives that we don't understand or they seem painful, it flows from his love. Hebrews 12 actually says that the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves. So even the discipline that God gives us in, his life, in our lives flows from his deep, deep love for us. So let me just encourage you with this. When you don't know what God's up to, when you don't know why he's doing what he's doing, trust the source of his actions. When things don't make sense, you can trust beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is acting out of love towards you if you are his child. He did that on the lake when I think his fuel tank was almost empty. If ever his compassion and his love could have been running low, I think it would have been on that day. If ever he had had a selfish bone in his body, it would have been then, or in Gethsemane, or on the cross, and yet we see him acting in love even on his worst days. So take heart in Christ's love for you. So we see the source of his concern for these people, but we also see the depth of his concern. Look down in verse 34 again. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. There were a lot of problems in these people's lives at this time. Rome, the pagan nation, was ruling them, um, hindering their worship of God in some instances. They didn't have any great leaders. The priests were corrupt. The Pharisees were corrupt. Herod was corrupt. He had actually just killed the greatest man who had ever been born as an Israelite apart from Christ. No doubt there were many people in the crowd struggling with family issues and depression and heartache. But Christ looks out at them and his chief concern, not his only concern, but his chief concern 
is that they're like sheep without a shepherd. So what does that mean? I think one main thing happens that's a problem when sheep lose their shepherd. They wander. They scatter out. So you have some wandering off cliffs. You have some getting stuck in bogs. You have some wandering into places where there's probably predators. When they lose the shepherd, they lose their safety, and they have no one to point them in the right direction. And that's what these Israelites were like. They were like sheep with no direction, no guide, no purpose. I think there's a really illustrating passage in the Old Testament. In Numbers 27, Moses is coming towards the end of his ministry among the Israelites. And he looks out at their future, and he sees that it will be bleak unless God gives them another leader. And in verse 15 through 18, this is what he says. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Moses realized from a physical standpoint, without a leader, God, the Israelites are going to scatter. They're not going to cross the Jordan. They're not going to know what to do. They're going to be like sheep without a shepherd. Now, in Christ's time, that wasn't an issue. They were already in the promised land. It had already been divided proportionally among the 12 tribes. But the physical problem that Moses encountered was the spiritual problem that was going on with the Israelites at that time. They were scattering spiritually. Even though they had the promised land, um, they had no leadership, they had no spiritual, spiritual direction, no teachers, no guides, no shepherds. The priests weren't doing it, the Pharisees weren't doing it. The scribes were studying the law to help create their own man-made religion. There was no guidance for the Israelites. And I think that when Christ was sitting in the boat wondering, do I need to get out of this boat or do I need to take the disciples somewhere to rest? This is what was going through his mind. He saw them out there like sheep without a shepherd and he realized, I'm the only one that can provide the direction that they need. And for him, getting out of the boat and giving these Israelites direction was more important than getting the rest that he needed. It was an urgent need. A need that needed dealt with that day. It couldn't wait till the next day. And Christ knew he was the only one that could do it. But this didn't happen in a vacuum. He was acting out of his, ex out of his exhausted state. Out of his disappointment and his discouragement. He still loves these people. And he acts out of his love. So we have the source of his concern is compassion. And the depth of his concern is that he looks out and he doesn't see any superficial needs. He sees these people's need for spiritual direction. And he fulfills that. And I think that that's so applicable to us because there could be someone here today that even though you're here in church today, you, if you really looked into your heart, you would realize spiritually that you're wandering. That you're like a sheep with no shepherd, no guidance, no direction. And Christ on that day was almost, humanly speaking, at the end of his rope. He needed a day off, but he was still willing to take care of these people. 
And now, if he's willing to act like that on that day, how much more so is he willing to do that for you today? When he's dwelling in heaven, in glory, outside of time, no longer hampered by weariness. He cares about people's spiritual needs. And some of you may need to come to Christ for the first time today and say, yeah, these Israelites, they were around the things of God, but they still had no shepherd. And I'm around the things of God today in church. Maybe I've been in church my whole life, but I need the shepherd who's even willing to minister on his bad days. Christ can provide the direction that all of us need in life, not just this direction that these 5,000 people needed. So the source of his concern is incredible. The depth of his concern is incredible. But also, the last thing, notice the extent of his concern. If I had been Christ and I had realized their deep spiritual need, that makes sense to get out of the boat and to take care of them. But he didn't stop there. He didn't minister to their need and teach them many things and then get back in the boat and go. He didn't stop. Christ never does the minimum. So after he took care of their spiritual need, he took care of their physical need. They were there all afternoon, all evening, as he taught them. Apparently they needed a lot of direction because he taught them many things. And it took a long time. And at the end of the day, they were hungry because they hadn't eaten. And he took care of that need too. So not just the depth of their need, but also the extent of their need. He wasn't blinded by their physical needs and, and he didn't just see their spiritual need. And I think that's so encouraging to us because sometimes it can be easy if we're not walking with the Spirit of God and in the Bible and to think that Christ really just cares about our spiritual state. I think there are a lot of people out there who don't really know the Lord and they view him as someone who just wants almost like something like spiritual taxes. And he doesn't really care about anything else. But we know that that's not true. And in 1 Peter 5.7, we're actually encouraged to cast all of our anxieties upon him because he cares for us. Christ isn't just concerned about your spiritual state. Christ is concerned about everything in your life. Every struggle, every heartache, every problem that you face, financial, family, work, everything is seen by the Lord. He wasn't blinded after preaching to them to realize that they were hungry. He did realize it. And he saw everything. Um, the disciples were ready to go. They looked at the Lord and they said, hey, why don't you just disperse the crowd? They need to go out and find food and we need to depart and rest. But Christ wasn't done yet. He wasn't done taking care of these people. So maybe you're a Christian and you feel like God has provided the direction that you need like a shepherd. But maybe you just need to take heart that you're not alone in all the other struggles in your life. Your struggles against sin and everything else. You know what it is that you're struggling with and God does too. Um, so I think that we can be encouraged this morning that this situation didn't happen in a vacuum. That Christ actually went to this moment of ministry with this miracle and he went exhausted. And the disciples went exhausted. But we still see a great source of concern, a great depth of concern, and also a great extent of concern as well. 
In closing, I just want to point out one other thing. We may be tempted to read this passage and to think Christ was willing to go so far for them because of where they were at spiritually. They were wandering like sheep without a shepherd, but maybe they really cared. Maybe they were really trying to set their heart on the things of God, and they were concerned for the kingdom of God. And Christ maybe looked at them and thought, I need to pour into them because these are prime candidates for the ministry. But if we think that way, we're completely wrong. Because John chapter 6 records this as well. It records the feeding of the 5,000. And immediately after that happened, Christ and the disciples go back across the sea and the crowd goes around the sea and meets him up again the next day. And you remember, it's at that situation that Christ has to explain to the crowd that he's the bread of life. They come to Christ and they say, teach us how to be doing the things of God. And by that they just mean, teach us how to be doing miracles. So it wasn't that this crowd was wanting to be spiritual, they were just thrill seekers. Because after Christ taught them all day, the very next day, they're just still concerned with miracles. They forget everything that Christ has taught them. And they just want to know how to make bread and fish out of nothing. And Christ has to try and explain to them, I'm the nourishment that you need. I'm the bread that you need. And they don't want to have anything to do with him after that. Many of his own disciples even walked away after he refused to teach them how to do miracles or to give them the gift of doing miracles. So this crowd was not a great crowd, not a spiritual crowd. They were wandering, and they didn't even know that they were wandering. They weren't even concerned. So we have Christ showing them great love and compassion, great care for their spiritual state, great care for their physical state, and they respond with nothing in kind. He's generous He's kind to them, and they are not generous or faithful to Christ at all. And he knew that was going to happen. He knew the next day that they were going to reject him and walk away. And he still acted with so much grace and love towards these people. So I just want to encourage you guys this morning with the heart of Christ. I think it's so great that Larry chose songs that were about the love of Christ because this passage is about the love of Christ even when Christ would rather be somewhere else. Even when Christ had other plans, he still showed these people love. So from the beginning, the source of God's interaction with us as believers is love. Be encouraged with that. Also the depth of his concern and the extent of his concern. Here's a day that Christ needs to himself, but he just keeps on providing love and provision to these people. I think that this story is a great picture of what Ephesians 3.19 says which is that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. No one would have expected Christ to react like this on this day. This was a day that Christ needed on his own. But we see it as one of the days where he lives out that verse in Ephesians. His love truly does pass understanding. So I hope you guys are encouraged by that this morning. If you have something you'd like to talk about with Skylar after the service, Don't go home shepherdless today if you realize that you're one of those sheep that don't have a shepherd. Um, Let us talk to you about that. So let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed after announcements. 
God, I see this passage and it reveals so clearly your love for people, people who aren't concerned about the things you're concerned about, people who aren't spiritual, don't really know completely who you are, and yet you're so patient, you're so merciful, you're so loving towards them, and it was on a bad day for you. You had just lost one of your greatest partners, but your love wasn't running low. Your patience wasn't running low. And God, I thank you that it's such an image of, of the links that you're willing to go to to bring people to yourself. So Christ, I pray that this will encourage us. I pray that you'll help us to realize that even on our bad days, we can always trust your heart. God, and that you aren't just concerned with one thing in our life, um, but that you see all of our needs that you are the great shepherd. So God, I thank you for this story. I thank you for the way that it connects with the background of the death of John and that even though Christ was needing a day of rest, he, he gave his all to people. I thank you for your heart, for people who are seeking you, for people who are wandering around without any idea where to go on their own. So we ask you, God, to Help us to remember how open your heart is towards us.